0: Joining me here in studio, his studio in many ways, is my next guest, Brian Kilmeade, host of The Brian Kilmeade Show on Fox News Radio, Morningside. He's, of course, co-host of Fox & Friends, and he's author of a brand new book, The President and the Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and Their Battle to Save America's Soul. Brian, great to see you face to face. Great to
1: see you. You Look too comfortable in that chair. I mean, it's <laughs> been a while since I've seen you in studio, and I realized, God, this is this these moments so the reasons. I don't. It's not the Brian Kilmeade Studio located <laughs> on the fifteenth floor. Is because we are co tenants.
0: Occasionally, yes. Right. I'm waiting for the memo to come down where you're going to force me to host from like one of the guest spots. Right. When I'm up here.
1: Yeah, and I will say, sorry, it was a management's decision. Yeah, of even course. It was purely mine. Of course. But by the way, I'm so jealous of your beer sponsor. If anyone's worthy of a beer sponsor, it's me. Well, so it looks like a beer.
0: It's actually not beer. It isn't? And it's not a hard seltzer. The long drink is this Finnish drink from Scandinavia. It is a citrus soda with premium liquor. It's so much better than the seltzer stuff out there. It's fantastic. Who invented this? The Finns. It's been their number one alcohol. As a nation?
1: The yeah. whole nation invented it? Collectively,
0: yes. It's, it's been their favorite. It's like Guinness in wow. Ireland, but right. it's, it's huge. And it's been their number one alcoholic beverage for 70 years. And I now it's know. here.
1: We could barely agree on a national bird, let alone could we ever agree on one beer as a country?
0: Absolutely not. No way. What is your favorite beer, out of curiosity? It would be Corona.
1: I'm very simple, man. You just uh, like a you, lime or no lime? I go with a lime, especially yeah. if it's offered, and hand cut. I prefer it hand cut, not oh. machine cut. I also wonder, too, I, I, just, I just admire a country that can't quite fill the beer up all the way. I know technically <laughs> it's for the line, but I always look at this. I'm like, really? Are you done? Can you possibly fi-? I'm paying for the whole beer. <laughs> the neck is always empty.
0: My favorite beer, it's one of the few things I have in common with Barack Obama. We have the same favorite beer. It's called 312. Really? It's a Goose Island beer. It's a light wheat beer, best with a, with a lemon.
1: It's a Chicago beer. You should try it. Well, put it this way. You're both in fine shape. Usually, beer drinkers tend to have a bit of a gut. Not you, not Barack.
0: Well, I appreciate that. It's right. th- thanks to the Peloton. I'd be like 300 pounds after this pandemic yeah. if not for the Peloton. I would like Peloton to sponsor the show. I feel like I talk about them enough.
1: Right. I would. Uh, I was hoping Peloton. I also like Five Hour Energy. Five Hour Energy. I think should be a layup sponsor with me. I feel like. Do you
0: imbibe a lot of Five Hour because you're have to not just One every, a morning. Morning. every morning. Well, every morning. Because every day you're up at. Before the crack of dawn. Yeah. And it's not like you just have to sort of like shuffle in and clock in somewhere. You have to be on national television right. in front of millions of people, sharp, engaging, all that stuff. That's almost impossible for me to do like every so often at Why? 6
1: a.m. You're not a morning guy?
0: I'm a night guy. I go to bed like 1 a.m.
1: Well, that's a problem.
0: That would do it. Yeah, that was a, yeah you're done. <laughs> yeah, Fox. If and you're Friends, watching
1: James Corden,
0: you cannot host the morning show. 100% not. But you do it every day, and, and now we know part of the secret is five-hour energy. Right. Uh, Let's talk about the book. Because I think there are – you'd be hard-pressed to select two people in the history of this nation uh, who are more heroic and in many ways more significant than Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. The book is The President and the Freedom Fighter. What inspired this book and why focus on these two figures? Because a lot of historical books are just you know about one person. This is now uh, sort of the merging of the efforts of two different titans.
1: Well, uh, great question. Number one – I I was fascinated to find out over the last 15 years when I started looking at this stuff, how uh, historical figures go up and down. I mean, Ulysses S. Grant, if you were to do a talk about Grant 30 years ago, they'd be like, really? That failed president that drank too much? Wrong. Upon further review, you read Ron Chernow's book. You see these movies. You go, my goodness, this guy was extraordinary. I think Brett Baer Saved would like the, a word as well, right? Yeah. But now, but Brett Baer writing that book or pitching that book thirty years ago, they'd be like, no, excuse me, that's not the figure we want, right? We Teddy uh, excuse me, Harry Truman leaves office. I think it's thirty two percent approval rating. The more they looked at what he did, all of a sudden the Truman books roll out with David McCullough, and I don't think that I can do a biography. I just don't. Uh, to me, I want to tell about a passage in time. Washington got you to read the book, but it's about those pedestrian spies. Right, Secret sex. Jefferson got you to read the book, but it was about these heroic figures, Presley O'Bannon and others, who win our first war against Islamic extremism. And then with uh, Andrew Jackson, I was fascinated since I saw the Washington guy, the White House got burned and they still have the burn marks on the archway right around the where the bowling alley is. And I think to myself, I cannot believe – how, how we were on we were on a respirator as a country, mm-hmm. five-foot-three-inch president hanging out in a horse while he wonders if his wife is alive and where his army is. You are in trouble, and the British were just getting started. And then we think Sam Houston. I can't do Sam Houston better than any Texan. Um, they learn a lot about by sixth grade, than most Americans will ever learn. But if I could tell you what happened after the Alamo, that's where I wanted to focus. So next up in order was the Civil War, and I said, I'm probably going to skip this, and I thought that's... Not right. Well, how do I do this different, Douglas? Why were you uh, we
0: thinking about skipping it? Just because it's been done by so many people?
1: Uh, you know, I, I look at the series, the Civil War series, and the David Blight just did the Frederick Douglass book, a book of the year. They said nothing will ever touch it. And then I'm seeing Abraham Lincoln. I literally get, and you probably do too, a different Lincoln book every three months. Yep. He's the most written about president we have by far, more than Washington. So I said these lives parallel. They suddenly cross. Not long enough, thanks to John Wilkes Booth. But what they overcame, I think, could be inspirational. How as also thing that helped me is they wrote everything down. Douglas wrote everything down. Douglas had a newspaper. Douglas had these speeches. Almost everyone except a paper two. trail. Yeah, it makes it easy for yeah. an author yeah. or easier. And you know what helps me, guy? I get opinion out of it, and I always worry about you know what. I've got to put these two things together. Let me let me try to glue it together. No. I will start each chapter with the quotes and the direction that I want and build around it. Same with Lincoln. All his speeches are chronicled. All his friends wrote books. He did not write about his Douglas relationship, but Douglas did. And Douglas talked about the first time they met him waiting outside the White House. That used to be a thing. And then used to see if he could see the president, even during the Civil War. And they said, we need to see your card, sir. He hands his card up. Within five minutes, Lincoln wants to see him. A black man in the middle of a civil war in Washington, D.C., walking past sitting senators to go see the president of the United States. And he was critical of the president often. Didn't feel he was moving fast enough on race relations, on emancipation and everything. And he said, I don't know how this is going to go. I'm going to speak my mind, not to be mad, but to talk to him. And the minute he walked in, all his apprehensions he talks about melted away, and he saw every year of the war in his face. The guy was only 56, Mm. and Frederick Douglass is walking up, and he sees him, and he realized, I'm going to engage this man, and he saw honesty in everything he thought. I go, good. I go, this is a book. What
0: could, what should America today learn
1: from these two men? Number one, forgiveness. I mean, my goodness, Frederick Douglass— went back and met with his former slaveholder and their family. He didn't have bitterness. He says, you were a person at times, can you just tell me when my birth date was? Could you, what do you know about how I grew up? Because he, was, he kept redoing his biography because he, got, he lived more, he experienced more, and then he wanted to get clarity on his youth because, like all of us, sometimes we romanticize our youth, mm-hmm. make it too bad or too good. He wanted to get more detail as he went through it. So if he could forgive Thomas Auld, his slaveholder, who stopped his wife from teaching him to read and write because she could have got arrested and the last thing you want to do is educate a slave. If he could get over that in America in 1850 and a youth in 1840, how dare we look back 220 years and say we're going to tear down these statues and we, our country's based on slavery?
0: Yeah, uh, that's,
1: I think, a really
0: potent point. What about Lincoln?
1: Uh, probably the underrated genius because he didn't look the part. Uh, so determined to learn, born to two illiterate parents. Mom dies at the age of nine. Dad would yell at him, put down the books. You don't don't need any to do that reading and writing. He had to overcome it. He had a stepmom that also saw his ability. He had a thirst to learn one year of formal education, even though he had this physical background because he had to. His dad would actually rent him out to other people. He had an intellectual curiosity that's beyond. This is how they are the same. They would go over, over mountains to get a book. They just wanted to learn more and more and more. And then, when he realized there were so many people that needed representation, he's like, I want to be a lawyer. I want to start helping people that way. He was very curious. He ran for election, and you see his speeches saying, If you don't want to vote for me, you don't have to. But let me just tell you what you'll get if you get me. And what you got was a sincerity to serve and a country that he loved and a thirst to learn more about our founding fathers, like uh, John Meacham might have today. Mm-hmm. And yet, it was still basically 40 years ago. I mean, he served with John Quincy Adams, which was a direct link to his dad, and Jefferson was his uncle, so he he could feel and uh, feel and uh, feel the founder founding of our country. But he did it from the Midwest, not the not Virginia where the clique was, or New York where the power was. So I thought, if I could, if anything else, inspirational stories without a social safety net, without daycare-free preschool or community college. People who had horrible things happen to them found a way in this country that people want to vilify to reach your potential, whatever it was. And then you dive into the detail.
0: And it's interesting when you think about today and what's incentivized today in America where it's victimhood and grievance and all this stuff where people are trying to say, like, okay, well, I've been born or thrust into difficult circumstances. I'm going to use that as an indictment of the whole country or some excuse. And you look at these guys who were born into really tough situations that you just described, and they said, we don't care. We're going to strive. We're going to aspire, and look at what they achieved.
1: Didn't Condoleezza Rice say something similar? She did. She said, you know, I grew up in the segregated South, and we saw racism everywhere. I couldn't go to a movie theater until I was a teenager. Couldn't sit on a bus or take a train. She said, yeah. My parents said it existed. I saw it existed. She goes, that's not going to stop you. That's the mindset. There are people that do horrific things, but it's your life too. Find a way to overcome it. Understand that life is not fair. And I think as a country and a government, all we have to do is try to plow the field to equal the playing field. It'll never be totally balanced, but you don't want to wait the game. You don't want to pay off the refs for victory because you'll never appreciate it. And you also don't want to start five runs down or five runs up. All I want is a shot. That has to be the mindset for the fourth grader, for this 11th grader, for the fourth-year college student. A little baseball reference there, World Series. Happy that the Braves won, Brian? No doubt. Uh, it kills me that the Mets led this. I guess the the word is that the Mets led a division for the longest period of time without making the playoffs maybe in baseball history. But they were not the better team. They weren't close, barely five hundred. Uh, the Braves got better. What I love about the Braves is they finished off through trades, but they grew. Uh, they grew their team again. But, I mean, for twenty years they were a contending team. They couldn't win the championship mm-hmm. except for '95, and with all those arms, pitchers, yeah. And you know, the Yankees crushed them when they came back in '96. Yeah. Yep. In 96, that was supposed to be their series. And, and the it was 2 0,
0: and the Yankees won four straight.
1: Yeah, it was, yeah, that's pretty crazy. And remember Wade Boggs and Ryan DeVore. Oh, yeah. the horse and oh was... I'll
0: never forget. I mean, right. I, that was like peak Yankee fan for me. Are I you
1: was... a, you're a Brave guy? Oh, I'm a Yankee fan.
0: You're a Yankee fan. Yeah, so I was rooting for the Braves in this World Series for sure. Because I
1: think. of the Astros, cheating.
0: Because of the Astros, and because of what Major League Baseball did to the Braves and to Atlanta Absolutely. in the All Star game. So I was all in for Atlanta. Plus, they had me throw out the first pitch at a Braves game this year. I don't know no if you way. saw that. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, that is fantastic. I did
0: not bounce it either. How did you do? Uh, well, I practiced a lot. I was so scared, Brian. It was, it was one of the more nerve-wracking moments because no one in the crowd actually cares, but you care. Right. And you, and everyone's like, don't you bounce it. And I'm representing not just myself, but Fox News as well right. and our affiliate down there in Atlanta. And uh, I threw a strike. According to the umpire, their, uh, their mascot was the umpire. He called it a strike. It was to the catcher on the fly. I make no apologies about it. So I had a couple different reasons that I was pulling for Atlanta. And it was also just fun to see that city... Rally around a team. And honestly, it was a lot of fun to watch. That was a fun team to watch.
1: You know what I think I'll never take for granted again? Crowd noise. I mean, I would I would be flipping around I'm saying, okay, what's going on? The Braves are playing tonight, or the play or the, or the Red Sox are are playing tonight. I'm watching the playoffs and the crowd. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying to myself, are they pumping this in? Because they had the phony crowd noise. Because the electricity of a live crowd, I'm surprised that's not a bigger story. Because for a year we watched the same people do the same thing. But without a crowd yeah it's just it was not the bizarre same. everyone losing money by the way because the salary still cleared but there was no one in the fan there's no stands there's no uh, concessions mm-hmm. so I just thought that uh, the crowd noise I don't take for granted anymore it really it really affects the game
0: Last question what do you make of this Aaron Rogers vaccination story? We were talking about it just before the segment off the air I would bet money he's not the only one who's maybe uh, fibbed a little a little bit on this front.
1: Yeah, well, let me see. The Packers are going to crack down on Aaron Rodgers who told them he didn't even want to play for him this year. Oh, really? I need to see your vax card. Okay, fine. Jordan Love, take the team. I think there's more than him. I'm watching these basketball players uh, who can't stop speaking out about everything, Mm. like LeBron James. Yeah, I got vaccinated. I'm not telling you what to do. I got to run. I got to play basketball. I just got this brand new team and got a few new players. Are we really to believe they're 100 percent vaccinated? Is Kyrie Irving the only one honest? I no ask way. you. Maybe honest. He's the only honest one to say I won't get, I won't do it. I'm not anti-vax. I don't want to be told what to do. Brian
0: Kilmeade, he's author of a bunch of best-selling books. The most recent one now available. You can go out and buy it today. The President and the Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. You can listen to him every morning on Fox News Radio. You can watch him even earlier than that when I am fast asleep usually. Fox and Friends with his two right. colleagues over there. Brian,
1: it is great to see you here in,
0: yes, I'll admit, your uh, studio. no,
1: Our studio, but I just want to say too, the President of Freedom Fighter, 10 o'clock, Fox News, Sunday night, November 7. Oh, fantastic. So yeah. it's so an, an hour, hour show. long special. Hour long show.
0: Very good stuff. Congratulations on another successful show, Brian. Thank you very book,
1: much, Brian. Brian Kilmeade
0: on The Guy Benson Show.